Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Simsisms. Property defamation. He doesn't have a lawyer representing him in one case. That, that's an issue with, like, the property de- defamation and the apartment there in Miami. That's be still an issue. You know, the NFL, they, they I, you know, they're scared. Close. They don't want to just... Not property def- Property destruction, I yeah, think. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is. You know, one of those D words, all right? Simsisms. Ah, oh, yes, one of those D words. One of them. That, that really wasn't a classic Simsism, no. but I think it fits. I think it fits. Property defamation. That's the legal edition. Man. See, we'll have the regular Simsism book, and then we'll start working on the second volume, the legal dictionary as yeah well that could be like sims and florio the legal edition i think i, I like that you probably I, don't want to have your, want, you don't want your I, name I next to my name that. on it no no <laughs> the problem is mike sometimes it just it it's it sounded so good to me i mean it really did i was like damn i hit that one out of the park and then i saw you shaking your head i was sold that i had said that the right way so it still sounds good to me i think with most people other than you i probably could have got away got away with it I like the fact that when it comes to the English language, you're like that guy who really can't golf very well but enjoys it and just grabs a club and walks up to the tee and just whacks it as hard as he can wherever it goes and admires it as long as it goes high and far, even if it lands on the other fairway, you still feel good about it. Yeah, you know, that is kind of how my golf game is. That's, I go out there just to have some fun, whack the ball, enjoy the, the environment and the scenery. Uh, so, yeah, man, that's a good analogy, but I'm not very good at golf. My back can't hold up with golf anymore, so I've, like, stopped doing that as much. Yeah, look, I, I don't want to get started on golf. Every four or five years, I rediscover it. I start to get halfway decent, and then I get upset that I can't be halfway decent all the time, and then I ask myself, why in the hell am I putting myself through this? And then it's back to no golf for another four or five years. The problem <laughs> is it's like the cicadas. I've, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to the point where it's time to rediscover golf, enjoy it for like two months, and then start you know breaking clubs and throwing them into the lake and and saying words like property defamation in lieu of profanity <laughs> yeah, after a bad that. tee shot. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get to it. It's Wednesday. We're getting closer and closer to the start of training camp. More and more agreements have been reached by the NFL and the NFL Players Association. I believe that by the end of this week, early next week, they'll have everything buttoned up on all points. So that's encouraging. They are getting it done because the time for getting it done has arrived, whether it is the safety protocols or the lingering issues with economics. But one one item of old business from yesterday that I wrote about 
at profootballtalk.com. Got some information about the league's position on this. And this is something that I think is an important intersection between football and society. The aggressive testing, the thousands of tests that will be performed on completely asymptomatic players, coaches, etc., as a preventive mechanism, right? What kind of strain will that create on the resources in the various communities that are currently completely under siege when it comes to the virus? And you have thousands of local residents who need tests, who think they may have it, who want to get it turned around so they can make decisions about what they need to do, what treatment do they need, how, how, how sequestered should they be from the rest of society for the next week or two weeks. And the league's belief, Chris, and, and I understand this conceptually, the league's belief is that because it has arranged with bioreference laboratories and national testing firm and bioreference laboratories has actually created capacity to serve the NFL. This isn't capacity that would have been available for anybody else. Because of the profit motive that private business engages in all the time, and bioreference laboratories is owned by a company that's publicly traded, there's a profit motive there. It isn't some governmental entity that's there to serve people. It's there to serve private business interests. It's part of the capitalist society that we live in. Because the NFL's paying them, they're setting up the capacity. And because it's all done nationally, it's not like you've got the Miami Dolphins going to some local hospital and and boxing out people who need COVID-19 tests in South Florida. This is a separate national system that was specifically created for the NFL, that the NFL is paying for, that Bioreference Laboratories is making it available because the NFL is paying for it. So it's self-contained and it's not putting any any drain on the system. That's... That's, that's the they're the saying. Do you believe it. that? Do You're, you think that's real? Well, I, I here's here's where it potentially falls apart. Right. And 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 I think that the league would acknowledge this. As long as nationally we're not in a crisis, right. As it relates to getting tests conducted and turned around, Chris. Yeah. Then we're okay, right? We've got hot spots where people are waiting five to seven days or longer to get results because they're in an area where there's so many people who need tests and we need test, 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 test. I mean, I was watching Morning Joe before we got started today, and one of the points they made is by the time we get to cold and flu season, the national system will be overrun. Then what happens if you can't get a 24-hour turnaround if if you're the NFL? So, you know, and, and I think there's an acknowledgement that the NFL would make if push came to shove that, if the national system is under sufficient duress, then the league does fall behind critical care patients, healthcare workers, the people who need that 24-hour turnaround, and they get it first right. before the NFL, and then maybe we go to 48 or 72 hours, which, which makes the whole testing concept collapse onto itself if you can't get the results quickly because you don't want guys who are in the facility, on the field, in games – that were tested two days ago, and you haven't got the results yet, and for all you know, they may be positive. Yeah, well, I mean, this is why, as a country, we got to get a hold of this thing for not just the NFL, but just for all economic reasons. I mean, if we want to get going and get back to normal and all those things, yeah, of course. But, you know, yeah, when you look at it at first look, and I'm glad you explained it that way, because you do, you, you think about – Okay, yeah, it's a private company. They got money to spend. They got it coming their way. But all right, you know, is it really the better thing for society? And yeah, we know that right now it's certainly surging around the country, but it's only a few states that really are having huge issues or starting to get overwhelmed in their hospital systems and things like that to where, uh, you know, okay, I'll buy it right now that it's a national thing and it's not cutting into the issues that we're seeing in those states. I hope that's the truth. I do. But I think that's the worry, Mike, is kind of what you said there at the end. I just I just worry. Well, I guess the bottom line is if we get to that point as a country again, we're in trouble anyways. And of course, then I would expect football not to be able to work or, or, or make it make it capable of happening, let alone a lot of other businesses and things, too. And I think, again, isn't entirely accurate because we haven't been to that point yet. Yeah, that, I know. That's, the that's thing. what we I had, mean, right. We had a, a couple of, of specific locations that were in an emergency situation, whether it was Washington State, New York City, early on. And those got under control 
But now you've got these other areas, primarily Sunbelt, where the virus is out of control. And if we don't get it under control before it ends up spreading and getting out of control in other areas, that's when you get the drain on the national testing resources. And that's when bioreference laboratories may throw its hands in the air and say, we just can't keep up with this. We don't have the supplies. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the ability to give people 24-hour turnaround unless they are critical care patients or healthcare workers. And the NFL, with its predominantly healthy workforce, no longer gets dibs. We no longer can do this. We must provide these services to others who are in greater need. That's where it potentially falls apart. Now, now there's a, there's a, a silver lining in the dark cloud that could be looming for the NFL when we get to cold and flu season, and that is the race to get to the point where they develop highly accurate point-of-care testing, Chris. Point-of-care testing means you don't send it off to a lab. You've got a device where you swab your mouth, you prick your finger, you get a result. And right now, they have it. It's available. The problem is it's not accurate. It's used in hospital settings. You can get a result in 15 minutes to an hour, but the technology hasn't advanced to the point where the off-site testing has. The bioreference laboratory accuracy rate right now, I'm told, is 98 to 99%, which is damn good. You'd like 100, yeah. you settle for 99 or 98. Right. When we talk about the point of care testing, I'm told it's 80 to 85%. That's not good enough. So they're hoping that the the work and the research and the advances that are all happening kind of behind the scenes and people aren't really talking about it, but that the point of care testing will catch up from an accuracy standpoint and there'll be enough point of care tests that the NFL can just shift to that, which would be great because if we could get to the point where all players and all coaches could, could know within 15 minutes to an hour on any given day whether they're positive or negative, you solve a hell of a lot of the problems Yes, the NFL is is risking here that you're going to have somebody who's who's walking around the facility or running around on the field shedding virus all over other people. Yeah, that would be a game changer. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, it just it it just limits the the amount of consequences that can happen and things that can happen uh, on a daily basis. So that would be amazing. Now, do we think like you know is there going to be a national call for those type of tests too though to where you know okay I'm just bringing this up you know okay now these tests are available. The general public's going to get them first, so, you know. Sir, you know, where, how is this going to work out, too? I just so I don't know if we can depend on that right now, right? Is basically what we're saying. We're hopeful that'll certainly make things certainly easier, but I don't know. I just uh, I, I wouldn't I well, wouldn't put all my chips or my eggs in that basket if I'm the NFL. Here's reality. Yeah. First, the technology has to get there, and then the capacity has to catch up, and and. These are all things we've kind of taken for granted in the past. Like in an emergency situation, you assume that someone out there, presumably people who have our tax dollars, will press the big red button that gets it done. (laughs) That, you know, we need 50 million of these tests. Boom, we're going to get 50 million of these tests. We're going to pay whatever we have to do. We're going to fire up whatever engines we have to fire up and whatever factories we have to fire up. And if we don't have the factories, we're going to build the factories and we're going to get it done. You know, the kind of urgency, and this is before either of our time, but during a world war, what happened? They pressed the big red button and everybody did everything they had to do to get what we needed to prevail. And I think that's been the one lingering frustration and you mentioned it from time to time and i'm trying to kind of articulate what you're feeling and a lot of other people are feeling yeah where's the big red button right press to get exactly what we need to beat this thing like why are we in this weird kind of dream state where it's like when are we going to wake up right i feel like that's where we are we know we're dreaming we know it's a nightmare and we're trying to wake the hell up and we can't. Well, you know, you know, unfortunately, as Americans, we're stubborn. I mean, we are. And, you know, and for whatever reason that is, we're, we're the kind of group of people that, you know, has got to get punched in the face once or twice to realize that something's real. You know, I, I get it. You know, I, I understand. Oh, you know, at first when I heard about COVID-19 and everything like that, 
oh, yeah, okay, it's a little scary, blah, 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 but I'll be okay, no big deal. You know, but then, hey, up here in the New York area, you start to know people and hear people that you know, and, you know, they're getting sick, they're dying, blah, blah, blah. There's, I don't mean to say blah, blah, blah to be insensitive, but you start to hear the horror stories that makes you straighten up. And unfortunately, I don't know why, but the rest of the country just didn't believe that we were going through this up there. And now they're kind of taking their lumps. So hopefully uh, it does get figured out. You know, I've, I don't know about the big red button thing. I've lost hope with that because I think we should have hit the big red button a long time ago. And uh, it just doesn't seem like we're working as a unified country right now, which, of course, makes it very hard to be unified in everything and get businesses going and get everything back on the right track. So uh, I don't know where it goes. And that's just a frustrating thing, especially with football. But, but uh, unfortunately, our country does have something to do with this as well. And just to put a button on that notion, I think the problem is, and this is why I say there will be a special place in hell for these people, folks in government, folks in media who have spent the last five months doing everything they can to downplay, 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 downplay. That has influence on the average person because they would prefer it to be downplayed. They don't want to have dramatic adjustments to their life. They don't want to take things seriously that would affect in a very significant way, what they do, how they behave, what they wear on their faces, how close they stand to friends, neighbors, and relatives. They want to hear people in supposed positions of influence tell them, it's no big deal. Right. It's no big deal. And then five months later, we're at a point where it's probably time for us all to wake up from this nightmare and say it is a big deal. Let's hit the red button. Let's do what we need to do for the good of everyone and also so we can have football. I mean, obviously, and, and look, that it's more important that we beat this thing as a nation, but at the same time, we also want football. And football, I think, is part of the overall emotional and mental healing that we need as a people, and hopefully it all kind of comes together, and hopefully we hit the big red button and we move on. A couple of things, other very, very short, very brief before we go. The, uh, the NFL and the NFLPA working on an agreement that would create a force majeure clause that doesn't currently exist in the CBA. They're working on an agreement for what will happen if games are canceled this year. The NFL recognizes it can happen. So do the players get paid? Do they not get paid? They're working on something where the players without guaranteed pay wouldn't get paid but the players with guaranteed pay, yeah. fully guaranteed pay, would get paid. That is a sticky issue, Chris. Oh, man, is that, that sticky. Th th think, think about the possibility of Packers quarterback Jordan Love getting his salary this year and Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers not getting his. Right. Because Jordan Love's is fully guaranteed and Aaron Rodgers this year isn't fully guaranteed. So it's awkward among the players who have fully guaranteed money and those who don't. Yeah, well, it's really awkward, Mike. And, I mean, th this is, to me, you know, along with, of course, the practice rules and things that way, you know, I look at that to go, okay, if we want to get going, that needs to get ironed out. But this probably is the biggest issue there is. And and to me, I, I don't know, Mike. I don't, I don't know what you've heard about it so far. But I just wonder I, – I, I have a hard time believing this is going to get figured out in the next day or two. You know, I could see this going into next week and this being an issue, certainly. Yeah, because the power players in the NFL and the guys that are big-time superstars that are not maybe in the first year of their contract or have a one-year deal or something like that, yeah, those, they're the guys that are going to get screwed over. Like you said, the Aaron Rodgers, the Russell Wilsons of the world, whatever. Uh, so I, I, could, I could see this kind of infringing on the start of training camp too and being an issue because like you said, it's awkward. And I don't know how quickly this will get ironed out and you'll get all the players to buy on to you know, what, what is going on here in general because I think a lot of players are going to look at it and go, wait, what the hell? I'm only going to make this. Whoever you are is not going to be happy and that's going to make them want to think and conversate about it. So I could see this being a big delay here uh, as far as the start of training camp is concerned. In a weird sort of way, if you have leaders on a given team who are facing the loss of their pay, if games don't happen, yeah, maybe that creates an even greater incentive to put their thumb on the young guys that may go out and do stupid things and bring the virus into the facility. So there may be some wisdom buried at the bottom of that fight. Very good Another point. thing where guys are going to get screwed before we go Roster size is likely going to be 80 instead of 90 going into camp, which means in cities where the rookies have shown up, it's not just the draft picks, it's the undrafted players too. You may have guys who have shown up who before they ever even practice 
are told to pack up and leave because they're going to have to trim 10 guys off of the roster of every team. 320 guys who currently are NFL players aren't even going to get a chance to win a roster spot if this is what happens. And as of last night, the NFLPA advised its players that that is likely what's going to occur. Rosters from 90 down to 80 right out of the gate. Well, I mean, 10 players, I mean, that's going to make that big of a difference. I guess that's the first thing I think of. I mean, I understand what we're doing. It's 10 less people to worry about getting to the sickness, managing, you know, the amount of people that are in the building. And like we talked about with all the meeting issues and all that yesterday, but I don't know. There's a part of me, too, that wants to just go, wow, okay, it's just 10 guys. We can't we can't handle that. I thought when I heard roster cut size that we might even go more dramatic than 80, really, to really try to make it more man- manageable for the teams and not, not stress out the system so much. But, you know, so be it. And then those 10 guys, right, that don't make a team, be ready. You got to be more ready than ever this year. Uh, you got to. Don't just because you got cut before training camp started or whatever it may be, who cares? You know, you're going to get your chance again. At some point, somebody's going to get sick or there's going to be some injuries and some issues and they're going to call you back and you'll be back in the building hopefully. So, it's almost going to work as its own little minor league stable maybe for the NFL with these extra guys sitting on the edge. But see what I would want if I was a team, I'd want to peel off 15 guys and put them in a different location and just work them and work them and work them so they're in game shape. So when the time comes that I need an emergency replacement out of the blue and my practice squad doesn't have another left guard available, I'm not grabbing some guy off of his couch who may not be in shape and I'm going to say, hey, you get to protect Patrick Mahomes for three hours today. I want guys who are in shape. So I I just, I again, uh, this is the problem. Every issue you resolve yeah it's got two more issues you've got two more issues that come up and you can keep chasing it and chasing it and and you spend all your time trying to brainstorm things you need to address and not enough time getting problems solved all right we got to take a quick break Uh, I keep saying one last point but this really is the last point this isn't anything we need to talk about this is something that was bad news kind of that became better news the NFLPA announced yesterday that there were 95 positive tests turns out it was a transposition error when they keyed the numbers in it was 59 not 95 which well we'd rather it be zero but 59 I'm no math expert less than 95 so it's 59 that are positive we don't know out of how many who were tested we don't know the positivity rate we don't know how many were symptomatic but 59 NFL PA members have been positive so far next week when the players are tested on a daily basis I have a feeling we're going to have some numbers that uh, that uh, will be eye-opening because of the sheer number of players who will be tested. All right, let's take a break. State of the franchise continues. We're up to number 31. Yesterday it was Washington at 32. Number 31, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Are they trying to build around a potential franchise quarterback or are they tanking for Trevor Lawrence? We'll talk about that next here on PFT Live. Already seen the post-draft power rankings that have the Jaguars at number 32. And yes, it pisses you off when you see that, but that can become one of the ingredients that is used to get the guys to rally around each other, to do everything they have to do, to buckle down and take it one brick at a time before you end up standing in front of of a wall. Where goes your power rankings? I haven't done them yet. We haven't done them yet. I do them. I have yet to do them. I'll do them later. I'll get back to you. Good news, Dave Caldwell. Your team isn't number 32. Hooray! You're not number 32. Washington's around. Thank you, Daniel Snyder. (laughs) Thank you, Daniel Snyder. The Jaguars are number 31. Look, somebody's got to be 31, folks. Somebody's got to be down there. You earn that spot based upon what you did last year and what you've done in the offseason. And... It just feels like the Jaguars, I I don't, here's why they're not tanking. They're not tanking because if they were tanking and if they do indeed tank and they position themselves to draft Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback that many regard to be the first overall pick in the 2021 draft, Dave Caldwell won't be there anymore. Doug Marone won't be there anymore. That's right. They're tanking for a new regime. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not, they're not tanking. No way. Last year with the Dolphins, with a new regime, as they're laying the foundation to get a franchise quarterback, it makes more sense to say they're tanking because they have their careers in front of them. Caldwell and Marone may have their careers behind them if they stink this year. I don't even want to say may. They will have their careers in Jacksonville behind them if they stink this Definitely. year. That's why they're not tanking. 
Yeah, it, it is. You're right. This is the last straw. I mean, we, you know, let's be honest. We we weren't sure they were going to save their jobs, you know, last November when you and I were talking about, ooh, you know, will they both be gone? Will one be gone? What happens here? You know, so uh, you're exactly right about that. And, you know, their job in a lot of ways depends on the guy that's going to be pulling the trigger for them. And that's Gardner Minshew. I think that's where the, car, the, the conversation's got to start, right? You know, yeah, I – Hey, we all know Trevor Lawrence is certainly going to be one of those guys that's going to be a top five draft pick. Certainly looks like that to me. But, you know, I, I truly – and I don't know how you feel here, Mike, but I truly, like, legitimately believe that they're behind Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I'm sure they see the talents of Trevor, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence, and I'm sure they dabbled in the quarterback market for the draft this year. I mean, I heard the rumors about Tua and all that. But I do, it doesn't, like, deter me to think, like, okay – they don't believe in Gardner Minshew. You know, there's something is to there is something to believe in with this kid. He's got moxie. He's got a little bit more talent than I ever gave him credit for coming out of Washington State. And as you see here, Mike, as we always talk about, he can kind of make some stuff happen when there's nothing there to happen. You know, make happen. The play doesn't deliver. He's got enough athletic ability and different ways to throw the ball to do some stuff. And there's a little talent around him. So they might, you know, hit a home run here this year and and maybe find this guy. And their offense might be able to su uh, surprise some people with that run game and, and a very under-the-radar group of good wide receivers. If you look at the graphic that we have on the screen, and if you're looking at the screen, you are indeed looking at the graphic. Gardner Minshew's statistics compared favorably to the two other rookie quarterbacks who started most of the season, if not all of the season. Murray started every game for the Cardinals, and he was the offensive rookie of the year. And when I had Dave Caldwell after the draft on PFTPM, he was trying to make the argument that Minshew was better than Kyler Murray last year. And, and uh, uh, no, you know, I, I, no. didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want Sorry. to shout him down. But, but it, here's the thing. I think that Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell saved their jobs. I don't know this. This is my speculation. This is kind of an educated guess based on 20 years of doing this. My guess is when Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, was trying to figure out what to do toward the end of the season last year, Exhibit A – for Marone and Caldwell was Gardner Minshew. Right. And the argument is, and we made this argument for them, give this guy a year to be the guy. Give this guy a full offseason. Right. Oh, wait, there was no offseason. But in, at the time, they didn't know that. Give this guy a full opportunity from the day training camp opens to be the guy, to get ready, to go get it done. And you throw in Jay Gruden and his offense. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a very different Jaguars offense than what we've seen, Chris. It could work. That's what they're putting their eggs in. Yes. The Jay Gruden offense basket, and they're hoping that Gardner Minshew can become uh, a, a guy who who they say we have our first franchise quarterback since who? Mark, Mark Brunel. Brunel. Right. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and I think there's there's certainly a lot of things to think that could all could happen. What you're talking about, Jay Gruden's offense. Hey, I like Jay Gruden's offense. I'm not going to sit here and say it's, you know, Shanahan, McDaniels, or, or Sean Payton, but I, I do think it's, you know, in the top half of football, certainly, and has everything you need in an offense to be successful. And then, you know, hey, let's not forget. Leonard Fournette's the real deal. At least he is in my book. I know it's been some inconsistencies on the field, off the field. I would argue the inconsistencies on the field have been more with like team issues. You know, hey, I can't, you know, some of the temper things and things he's done there, I, I can't, you know, deny that. But DJ Shark, you know, he's one of the better receivers in football. We just don't know about him yet. You know, D.D. Westbrook, they just, they got Conley, uh, you know, getting Tyler Eifert at tight end in the offseason. The offensive line's got some young up-and-comers. And then, hey, honestly, I thought they killed the draft with two stars there, too. So they're, they're, they're rebuilding, but there is some young talent that was there in place already. And, I, I you know, there's something to be excited about in Jacksonville, nonetheless. Not that I'm expecting a huge year this year, but I'm excited about what some of these guys can be two, three years down the road. They explored trading Leonard Fournette. I think one of the realities is there's a concern as to how well he fits in the offense under Jay Gruden. Yeah. But he had, he had a solid year last season. That's what's strange about it. But, you know, what happens is with certain players, we develop an expectation yes. that's sky high. And with Leonard Fournette, it happened his freshman year at LSU. And then the guy spends the rest of his career 
chasing that expectation and trying to live up to that potential. Davian Clowney falls into that bucket as well. Sure. He created an expectation when he did the Rock'em Sock'em Robots thing with the guy from Michigan and his helmet went flying in the bowl game. And he spent the last decade trying to catch that expectation. And Fournette, I feel like, is in the same situation. But that doesn't mean he's bad. He's still got something that he can offer, and this is a team that does have some potential. And 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 look, I'm not uh, the thing about power rankings. It's not a prediction on where someone's going to finish. It's a reflection of where they currently are. And the Jaguars, hey, they're in a tough division yeah. with the Colts and the Titans and the Texans. But is it impossible that this is going to work for them? It's not impossible, no. especially with their two first round picks. You mentioned that they were toying with the idea of Tua Tonga Vailoa if he had fallen to number nine. Then what was C.J. Henderson instead, and then Caleb on Chase Ooh. on. At the bottom of the top, t- a guy who who is a special talent who oh. didn't have a clear fit, so maybe he didn't go higher as he as he would have. These two could really make their defense a lot better and replenish the likes of a Jalen Ramsey or eventually a Yannick Ngakwe, right. and 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 get them back to where they were a few years ago defensively. Oh man, C.J. Henderson, you know, Caleb on Chase on me likey. I mean, me likey a lot. All right, I mean, I really do. They were two of my favorite people in the draft coming out. I mean, the man crush all the way. C.J. Henderson, you know, as far as pure raw ability, I thought he was the best corner in the draft, better than Jeff Akuda. Akuda's just more polished, been taught more. C.J. Henderson's one of those corners, Mike, where, you know, I like it. They just said, hey, you see that guy over there? You cover him. And he just covered him all game long. You know, and Kayla Von Chase, and I know we talked about it in the draft, but he's one of those, uh, you know, you know, D Ford, uh, Derek Thomas back in the day. Yeah. A little undersized, but he's very young. He was the youngest guy in the draft and he's 250 something pounds and extremely explosive. You talk about him, you know, if Yannick Ngakwe's there and then let's not forget, they had one of the better rookie pass rushers in football last year in Josh Allen. So you do that. And then you talk about Joe Schobert, you know, that they got a middle linebacker along with miles Jack, who is already one of the better middle linebackers in football. You know, there's things, there when I start talking about them I go man I'm kind of excited to see what they got now I don't know if they can put it all together you know we'll see and you're right they're they're, they're justified to be 31 Mike I got no problem with that they're 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 an un you know there's too many answers to the to them right now or too many questions I should say we you know that that need to be answered before we can you know rank them any higher Caleb on Chase on joined me at the scouting combine on one of those days when we were puking. out of action. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I was trying to be more subtle, subtle about that one, but uh, uh, Chase on has an energy to him. He's got an edge. He's got an attitude that I think will be infectious and he will quickly develop into one of the leaders on that team, which I think is another reason why they should be excited that they have him. Yannick Ngakwe, the lone franchise tag player who hasn't signed a tender or a long-term deal. He still wants out and maybe they work out a Jadavian Clowney type of a trade where they unload him even though he only has a one-year deal like the Texans did last year with Jadavian Clowney when he went to Seattle. I I think the Jaguars want too much for him, and they're willing to just say, hey, we're we're here, we're willing to pay you, uh, what, $15, $16 million, uh, but Ngakwe wants out, and I don't know how it's going to work now that you can't sign Ngakwe to a long-term deal, Chris. But that's something that just needs to get resolved before this Jaguars team can go forward confidently into 2020. Yeah, I agreed. It, 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 you know, honestly, I think it, it'll kind of hinder, you know, maybe the ability of uh, a guy like Caleb on chasing and, and Josh Allen and just, you know, take away reps. I don't know what's going to happen there, but they got to figure that out. You're right, because it just doesn't look like that's going to end in a, you know, a, a, with a pretty look or anything like that. Yannick Ngakwe seems pretty firm that he wants out there. He doesn't want to play. I mean, do you get the sense, and maybe I missed something over, you know, our break or anything like that, but I haven't heard Yannick Ngakwe come out and go, like, if I got to play, I'll play for the Jaguars. He's, uh, he still seems like, no Jaguars, I want to be traded, and he's not even entertaining that idea. Yeah, no, the last we heard from Ngakwe was that if if uh, he's traded subject to a one-year deal, he's fine with that. He doesn't need a new contract. Yeah, that's of right. Of course, at this point, right. he can't get a new contract because July 15 has come and gone. Even if he's traded to another team, he can't be signed to a new deal until after the season. All right, best case, worst case, 2020 Jaguars. Like, best case, I think it's a little bit like well, the, you know, the, the Washington team we talked about yesterday. You know, to where I think they could be like a fringe, you know, we're early December, mid-December, and maybe, 
you know, they're a game or two out of the playoff race and they're going to need to win out and they're going to need some other teams to lose a few games for them maybe to sneak into that seventh wild card spot. You know, I, I kind of look at it that way. And then I think worst case is like, oh, wow, it all falls down and crumbles and they end up 2-14 and 14 and they're one of the you know, top four or five picks of the draft next year again. Yeah, worst case is they earn their 31 spot in the preseason power rankings yeah, right. and Dave Caldwell is out and Doug Marone is out and yeah. someone else is drafting Trevor Lawrence or a different quarterback. I, I said yesterday that I think Washington could win their division because I think that division is more wide open. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a tough time in Jacksonville winning the AFC South. I think you're right. The best they can hope for is one of the last two spots in the AFC field, which is expanded to seven, just like the NFC. But it's going to be tough to navigate oh. with the Colts the and the Titans. Titans. And the Texans. I mean, think about it. You got Woo! a division champion in Houston. Yeah. You got a team in Tennessee that made it to the Final Four. And you got a Colts team that has the wall, the big blue wall, with Phillip Rivers. And if Phillip Rivers still has it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I, you know, we've, we've, we've thrown around the idea of the NFC West sending all four uh, teams I hear to you. the playoffs. I know. I don't know that I would say the AFC South could send all four teams to the playoffs, but they could have four playoff contenders. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's, you know, that's not crazy. I know. You know, you look at the teams and just the complete totality of the teams. I look at the Tennessee Titans and the Colts as being the two best full complete teams, but the best player in the division is number four down in Houston, and that's a great equalizer, and you know that you can't count him out. So uh, it is. It's an incredibly tough division. I don't think that plays in the favor of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know who comes out of there. But, yeah, Mike, I'm with you. I don't think it's crazy to think at least two get in. I mean, we've seen that a lot. And, I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if three made it on, on this year with, with those three teams. All right, let's take a break. We were at the scouting combine to talk to the incoming rookies. And uh, how about a little throwback to that moment that Chris <laughs> was referring to? Thank you. You brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks for caring me about me there. What's Thank more you. likely, rookie edition right after this? Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The Viking social media team meant well, creating a TikTok challenge where you make the other half of the frame. Kirk Cousin throws it, you catch it. And <laughs> or you don't catch it because it sails over your head and into the neighbor's window. That uh, That's uh, very well done by uh, Austin Craig 42. Also an important update, Chris, because we want to make sure that we have the appropriate connection with our friends in the UK and in Ireland who enjoy the program on Sky Sports. You referred in the last segment to your illness at the Scouting Combine. We had a little video of it on the way out, apparently, because then we started to wonder, is there some, like, funky special term? Because I, I love that the Brits have, like, words that are very unique. Right. That are very, that are very colorful. Right. Chunder. We have learned during the break that chunder is the word, number one. And number two, as far as we know, it's appropriate to say on TV, here's hoping that the second part is more accurate than the first part. So chunder. That's I a like new it. one. I like it. Yeah, it's, like it. it sounds elegant for throwing up for doing that. You know, it does. It's, you know, the English, they, they, they got away with words, don't they? They do. But, but, and, and I don't mean to disrespect or change the subject, but 
Can you got this big farm you're living on in West Virginia? Can you make a freaking TikTok video of you catching a pass from Kirk Cousins? No. Do no. something. Why? Have your son Why? throw you a ball and like you can you can like play wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. You can pretend you're in the Super Bowl maybe for like the first time ever, you know, whatever. Maybe the and then win or something. You could have something fun. <laughs> Listen, I, I understand when somebody has perfected something, there is no point trying to do it. Austin Craig, 42. It, it, there's, that's, it's not going to be better than that. Let's just respect what he did, and, and uh, we can move on. Okay. Plus, uh, it's, too, it's too hot out this time of year. I like to stay inside in the air conditioning, although there's, the air, there's an issue with the air conditioning up in the attic over my garage because it is uh, slightly toasty, but uh, first world problems. Yeah. Absolutely. Prime me a river. What's more likely? Rookie edition. Let's get into it. Quarterback more likely to see the field first in 2020. Tua Tonga-Vailoa in Miami or Justin Herbert in L.A.? Well, you know I think Justin Herbert's the more talented prospect. I certainly liked him more coming out in the draft. But I think when it comes to this, I'm going to go with Tua on this conversation here. You know, one, I think the, the Chargers seem pretty steadfast. on They'd like to play Tyrod Taylor for this year and play this certain style of football uh, where they're going to kind of run the ball, you know, be high percentage passes, and then they got a great defense. You know, the Miami Dolphins, they're, they're, they're total, like you said already in this hour. It's, it's a rebuild mode. This is really just the start of it. Ryan Flores has finally got some guys in there to be excited about, and here we go. So, And we know what Ryan Fitzpatrick is, and I just think the clamoring and the fan base and everything like that, uh, I think if Tua can just show that he's, you know, pretty close to 100% or 100%, uh, I just think we'll see him first uh, before Justin Herbert. Yeah, and two is already under contract, I believe. Justin Herbert has not yeah, signed Yeah, I haven't yet. heard that there yet. There is a right. rash of signings as we get closer and closer to the start of training camp. And here's the thing. To the extent that players uh, – first of all, to the extent that you're getting your guaranteed money, if that's the end result of discussions between the NFL and the NFLPA – most of the rookies taken in the first couple of rounds have fully guaranteed contracts for their first seasons. And also for the guys in round one, the bulk of your compensation is a gigantic signing bonus. It's a small salary. It's a gigantic signing bonus. But we're seeing more and more of these rookies agree to You terms. agree, though? All right, you're, going, you're going to what? it, too, though? You agreeing? Yeah. Yeah, you think I, Tua? I think, I yeah. think Tua. Yeah, I think Tua. I mean, it's a given Joe Burrow is going to start from week one in Cincinnati. Right. I, it, you know, Brett Favre has made the argument that Jordan Love should be used in specialty packages, almost like a Taysom Hill in Green Bay. But uh, I think between Tua and Herbert, it's going to be Tua before Herbert. I think they really want to give Tyrod Taylor a chance to show what he can do yeah, with the best, the best help around him that he's arguably ever had in his career. Right. All right, the receiver more likely to dominate as a number two option, Jerry Judy in Denver behind Cortland Sutton or C.D. Lamb in Dallas behind Amari Cooper. You know, I'm going to go with C.D. Lamb here. First off, I like C.D. Lamb more as a player. I, I, I did coming out in the draft, and that's not to disrespect Jerry Judy. I know he's a hell of a player too. But C.D. Lamb to me is one of those guys that, first off, doesn't need a system. You know, that's where I thought he was special. He can he can catch a slant and make three people miss and run for a 60-yard touchdown. You know, he can, he can be covered and catch a 50-50 ball or beat people down the sidelines and just beat them with speed. So I like his skill set and overall talent level and I really look at it as like he'll be a true, true number two. Like Amari Cooper's going to be one, but he will be weapon number two in the pass game where in Denver, I think there's some other people that could take away from Jerry Judy a little too. They have a special tight end. Noah Fant has got the talent to be one of the best in the league. And then you got a guy like KJ Hamler too, who they drafted in the second round, who's got like three rockets up his butt. So I just, I guess what I'm saying is I think there's a little bit more of a, you know, a group there in Denver that could take away from Judy's stack a little as well and the Broncos seem to be hell-bent on getting Jerry Judy and I wonder if they banked on C.D. Lamb being available at number 15 because I think you and I both agree C.D. Lamb's got the better potential and yeah. when you start talking about receivers getting drafted later than they thought they should get drafted that's that Michael Thomas chip on the shoulder right. potential right where a guy may be even better it goes back to Randy Moss in 98 the longer you linger as a receiver and you get upset about it and you buckle down and you focus and you're determined to prove everyone wrong, it's another reason I agree with you. I think C.D. Lamb is going to be the more impactful player. And that leads to the next one because Henry Ruggs III was the first receiver drafted. I think an, an extra burden comes with that. 
is it more likely that he rejuvenates Derek Carr or that Henry Ruggs becomes the next James Jett really fast guy? Hey, don't diss James Jett like that. James Jett was still productive. He I was. I didn't come up. Let's not knock James Jett. Right. Let's let's say the next let's say the next Darius Hayward bet. Okay, really that's a better receiver one. Who never gets it done. Right. What's and, more like? And he was a first round pick, right? I mean, I think Darius Hayward Bay was like a top ten pick, maybe, if yeah. I remember correctly. And, and was picked by the Raiders. He yeah. was picked before Michael Crabtree, right. number seven in two thousand ten. Yeah, somewhere in there. Right. So um you know, this one's a tough one. You know, I like rugs. I certainly do. I could see him being maybe a little bit of a straight line runner, disappointing that way. Um, but I, I hmm, man, I, I think I, if you make me pick here, I'm gonna say he re- rejuvenates Derek Carr's career. I am. I, I think Gruden will have enough tricks and plays in his playbook that even if Henry Ruggs doesn't turn out to be the overall polished receiver that we'd like him to be and continue to grow in, I think he'll find a package of the guy just to be a, a weapon, a la a Tyree Kill, where, yeah, he could run. He just runs deep routes, go routes, deep crosses, reverses, speed sweeps, and they'll make it happen that way. I was one year off. The Oakland Raiders made Darius Hayward Bay the seventh overall pick in 2009. The 49ers took Michael Crabtree at number 10 in 2009. But, uh, yeah, uh, Hayward Bay, really, really fast, and we know how the Raiders have been. I mean, I was stunned. Although it's it's in character for the organization, I really was stunned that they went with Ruggs there, and it does put a ton of pressure it on does. that first receiver taken. And, uh, you know, he's going to be constantly compared to Judy, right. to Lamb, and uh, we'll see And he's see never if he been the guy, Mike. That's the other thing, too. Like, it was never like, oh, he was the number one guy, right, at Alabama. There's going to be some adjustment there. And the other thing I'll say, too, his biggest flaw is, you know, there were some games where, when you know, in college, if he got jammed, you know, he, he had a problem getting off of jam coverage. He did. And you could see it actually would, like, discourage him for the rest of the game and some of those games where he struggled like that. So uh, he's a very interesting prospect to watch out. I, there is a little bit of a boom-bust factor to me with him. And and uh, the issue from a few weeks ago, that weird thing. Remember oh, with we the leg. About yeah, it, he had to get the – He uh, was moving something, and he right. got his leg lacerated. And it's like, Henry, you got money now. Right. You pay for people to do things that could create a physical risk to you. Your body is your temple. Do what you can to keep it safe until you go onto a football field and throw yourself into harm's way. All right, uh, let's take a break. Terrell Owens versus Tyreek Hill with T.O. getting a head start. Who you got? We'll see how it played out when PFT Live continues right after this. Terrell Owens, Tyree Kill. Terrell Owens getting the head start. And, uh, yeah, you give Terrell Owens a head start, he's going to beat you. Tyree Kill tried his damnedest, but Terrell Owens, mid-40s, can still get it done. Man. That is something. Look at those bodies still. Now, now you start Tyree Kill on the line fair and square with anyone, right? I, I don't know. Uh, 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 yeah. Is there anyone? Is there anyone out there that could beat Tyreek Hill without a head start? Uh, I don't think so. In the NFL, right? I mean, I look at Tyreek Hill like this, you know. And and again, let me think. Like, uh, there, there's only a few people I think in the history of the league that are as fast as Tyreek Hill. I think it's a very short number. You know, Deion Sanders, fastest player I've ever seen. Daryl Green, I think, in that conversation, right? Then you got Tyreek Hill. I would say Joey Galloway, who I played with, and Chris Johnson, CJ2K. I think all those guys would be in that conversation, but I think I would probably go Dion one and Tyree kill two, I think, in my heart of hearts as far as the fastest guys I've ever seen. 2008 preseason of his rookie year, Chris Johnson took a handoff against the Rams, I think, right. and was shot out of a cannon. There were like three guys that thought they had an angle on him, and yeah. he was just – gone so I I agree with you though Tyreek Hill one of the fastest if not the fastest there aren't many guys who ever would have been faster than Tyreek Hill but for Terrell Owens think about it over 40 to run like he does now Daryl Green was able to run into his 40s he played into his 40s and how about Willie Galt oh that's another one set up he set a world record at the age of 47 in 2008 
for the 45 to 49 age group, he ran the 200 in 21.8 That's seconds insane. at the age of 47. That's insane. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that he's he's another guy that needs to be put in the, in that, you know, classification of guys we just talked oh, about. And there there's more. There's more. At in the 50 to 54 age group in 2011, he ran the 100 in 10.88 seconds. Wow. In his 50s. That mean Willie he, Galt. He's beating good high school track runners there with that. That that would be embarrassing for some of those kids having him come out there and do that. But I mean, yeah, he was on the 4 by 100 relay team right at one point. You know, but I you used still to, do it in your 50s after playing football and having your knees and your hips and your ankles banged around all those years. Didn't you used to watch? I used to watch NFL's fastest man in the summer. It would all usually be on around this time of the year right mid-july when i was growing up and i used to love it I, I wish they would still do it it'd be something i'd tune in to watch because you know of course uh I, I think there's a few guys that really would compete in it and want that title there's a little danger there we know is pulling a hamstring or something but uh it's something i'd tune in to watch but i think who are we missing right now in the league right i mean right now in this like tyree kill is number one for sure I'm just trying to think, is there anybody else that we're missing that's in his class as a as a true top speed guy right now? And I don't know. Nobody pops to my head quite that way. Yeah, I mean, Tyree Kill's in a class of his own. Yeah, he uh, is. There are plenty of fast guys in the NFL, but uh, Tyree Kill is clearly far and away number one. All right, we're going to take a break. We're changing things up a little bit today because Rodney Harrison is going to join us in about a half hour. We're going to do our draft for the day, inspired by Michael Bennett. Guys who are better than their stats would suggest. We'll right. Have some fun with that. We're going to do that when the next hour of PFT Live gets rolling right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.